Welcome to Elevenses with me, Danielle Perry, the show where we celebrate the traditional tea break, putting down our mobiles to talk. Over Elevenses, I ask each of my guests the same 11 questions, which often yield some pretty interesting and varied answers. I'm really scared of crows. I never tell anyone that. If I see a crow on my side of the road, I often walk to the other side. I do not like crows. My guest today is a cook, writer and TV chef who's captured the nation's heart, winning the Great British Bake Off back in 2015. Since then, she's become a vibrant and welcome presence on our TV screens with her no-nonsense attitude and infectious laugh. Her punchy flavour combinations and stress-free approach are just some of the ingredients that make her many BBC series and travelogues so compelling. With a string of best-selling books for adults and for children already behind her, it was in her memoir, Finding My Voice, that she spoke openly about her panic disorder. Her many cookbooks have found their way onto millions of shelves and the latest fast flavours with recipes for custard French toast, potato pockets, which looks amazing, blueberry and fennel ice cream cake and coffee glaze for Katya promises to do the same. Nadia Hussain, what an honour. Welcome to Elevenses. Thank you so much for having me. When you say it out like that, I just think, goodness, have I even slept in the last six years? With Elevenses, I always ask my guests, are you tea or coffee? Hot drink? Would you have a snack with that? How would that go? Tea. It's a cup of tea for me. And I don't often have breakfast. I might have a juice in the morning. Mm-hmm. So for me, that kind of 11s is brunch between breakfast and lunch kind of time is perfect for usually I'll just go for some toast. Because that's actually the time I'll actually have done. I'd like whizzed around the house all day, done work, emails, bits and bobs, writing. And then that's the moment where I kind of like allow myself the treat of just sitting down and maybe watching a little bit of mindless television with a cup of tea. So, so good. Yeah. Let's quickly talk about fast flavours. It's all about everything being so fast, like you were just saying, just whizzing around. But this is something you can control, isn't it? Cooking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's about kind of, for me, it's about kind of read the words fast flavor and you think it's all about kind of speed. And as much as it is, also it's about using your ingredients really well to create fast flavor. Mm. Um, And so it's everything that I love to do in the kitchen, cook efficiently, quickly and end up with something delicious. I was actually quite hungry. You know, when you watch a TV show, like a cooking show or something, and you haven't eaten, you're like, oh. Was there any that didn't work when you were like trying things out? Were you like, oh, I'm sure that would. Oh, no, that didn't. Weirdly, you know what I'd love to say to you, and it was going to sound like everything works, but usually when I come up with something, I mean, like little details might go wrong. And I think, oh, a little bit less of this or a bit more of that or a bit more time in the oven or perhaps a little bit less. Those are the kind of things that need tweaking when I'm testing recipes. But usually, like through the year, I will try out lots of new different things. So they start off their life as a quick meal that I might have made for my kids. And then they just end up in the book because it's honest, it's real. And I will have trialed and tested them on my children and my family long before they make it down as an actual recipe. Clearly, like, cooking and baking has given you comfort over the years. This is one of my first questions to you. Would you say that is where you are at your happiest? Yeah. I am at my happiest when the kitchen is clean. Right. Genuinely, it sounds ridiculous, but when my kitchen is tidy and everything gets cleared down, and it's me, I'll clear the whole lot, I'll hoover, I'll mop, and it'll smell beautiful. And I love the smell of eucalyptus. And so I put a eucalyptus oil and I've got eucalyptus candles. And I love that smell. Mm. And I bake a banana bread. Like that for me is like, that's, ju- that's just 
calming, reassuring, and I love the idea that there'll be banana bread in the morning for the kids to take in their pack lunches. And there's something about the mum in me that feels relaxed and thinks, oh, I feel like I've really achieved something when the kitchen's clean and I've baked a banana bread. Yeah, there's a there's huge feeling of contentment. I can feel that totally. Yes. And in your childhood, when and where were you at your happiest then, would you say? Um, probably as a child, I think I was happiest whenever I was around my younger siblings. So it was usually bedtime for me. I'm one of six. There was never any kind of time to be completely alone. And it's weird that my brother's just moved in with me for a couple of months before he moves into his new house. So there is literally no time. Um, and he's 26. <laughs> so there's literally no time on my own. And, and, and I think when you grow up in a huge extended family, the only moment of quiet that you really, really get is when you go to bed. And I used to share a bedroom with my two little brothers and my little sister and the youngest he was really young when when I was sort of 11 12 he was he was a baby and so we used to snuggle up with him and we used to have this double bed and we'd sleep kind of sideways on this double bed and that was like for me as a child that was my moment of calm everything after that when we woke up was hectic and mayhem and um, difficult to say the least sometimes but um, that was my little pocket of peace with them and I'd tell them stories and they'd fall asleep wow Turns out I was a lot more maternal back then than I thought I was. I love that idea. There was always someone to talk to. Yeah, I mean, even now as a grown-up, you know, we're all very different, all six of us. We're completely different from each other. I mean, it's unusual how different we are. But, you know, in a moment of, you know, I get to pick a friend, you know. When I'm feeling down, I know there's a friend in one of my siblings that I can pick that will say just the right thing to make me feel better somebody who will give me good advice or somebody who will just listen or somebody who will tell a joke. There's somebody like that in my family between us siblings. Mm. And it's that shorthand you have with someone, isn't it? Yeah. I was out with um, my husband. We had our first daughter, Etta, and we were out for a rare meal one night. And it suddenly dawned on me, because my, my husband and I are both only children, that her family was very, very small. No aunties, no uncles, no cousins. Mm. I was like, we've got to have another one. So we did. So that was fine. Yeah. <laughs> What's your earliest memory, Nadia? My earliest memory is of, and I know the answer to this one, because the only, like, it's literally the, I always think, can I remember further back? Because sometimes what happens with life is somebody tells you a story and you think that's your memory, and actually it's not. Um, But my earliest memory would be of, I must have been maybe, oh gosh, three at the time. And my granddad had passed away. But I don't remember my granddad. But what I do remember is my mum crying. Like, that is one of my earliest memories. It was, we lived in a terraced house, and at the back of the garden, there was um, the train tracks at the back of the garden. So every 20 minutes, a train would go by. And so the whole house would shake. And we'd become so accustomed to the house shaking every 20 minutes that anyone that came to our house would kind of sit there and kind of hold the seat and say, how do you live here? Um, and it was something that we'd just become used to. And, and I remember when we moved out of that house, not hearing that was such a bizarre feeling. But I, all I remember is like we had four beds in, in, in this room with little gaps in between. And I was jumping between the four beds. And my mum was somewhere in between one of those four beds crying. And the only time I really got a glimpse of her face was when the trains would go past 
and the kind of light would reflect onto the neck curtains and onto her face and then that's the only time I could see her face. I hadn't noticed she, she was crying until every time the light shone on her face and that has to be my earliest, earliest memory. Mm. I always ask my mum, is it a story that you told me? And she says, no, I don't remember ever telling you that story. So it had to be a memory. God, that's really detailed, isn't it? With mm. all the light reflecting and the sound of the train, the reflection. It was, Incredible. it's always that, because I remember it and apparently it's a story no one's ever told me. So it must be something that kind of sat in the back of my mind. It's amazing how it gets etched in there, mm. isn't it? We're talking about inspiration next, and I was wondering what inspires you gastronomically, Nadia. There are a few things that I think I feel inspired by. Um, I mean, often it's travel. Where we go on holiday or where I go is determined by what I'm going to eat. <laughs> I like that. You know, it's what we're going to eat first. And where are the best places to eat? Where can I find something specific to do with that place that I'm visiting, whether it's Canada and Nanaimo bars or whether it's a pad thai in Thailand or, I don't know, a sel roti in Nepal. You know, it could be so many different things. Mm. And I've got this list of places that I want to go to and certain things that I want to eat that just... I mean, it's gotten bigger. It's grown over the last two years yeah, certainly over the last two years I think lots of people have stepped back and where we could just jump on a plane and go off it's not as easy to do that anymore but uh, traveling wasn't something that we ever did as, as children or going on holiday as a family the only place we ever went to was to Bangladesh and and that felt like a home away from home so that never felt like a holiday it was just we're going from one home to another so you know it's not something that I take for granted it's something that I love and enjoy and I do feel like Every time I go on a plane on holiday with my kids, it feels like it's the first time. It's so exciting. Yeah. What's at the top of your list then at the moment? Oh, I, well, at the moment, I'd like to go to Peru. I'd love to go to Peru, but my kids really, really want to go to Borneo. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's like, that's always at the top of our list, but that's the one that always gets dropped down and they want to see actual dung beetles roll dung. <laughs> and they said, you know, mum, imagine just getting on the ground and watching an actual dung be And I don't, and I suppose we have always watched that on documentaries where they're kind of rolling it backwards. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. But imagine actually seeing it. Actually seeing it, yeah, yeah, totally. And that's their, that's their, like, biggest dream is to go to Borneo and see dung beetles. <laughs> so, so great. Um, and people-wise, inspiration, is there one person that's really played an important role for you? Uh, one person that has played... Uh, a kind of pivotal role in my upbringing, in, in who I am today, would have to be my grandma, my maternal grandmother. Mm. She um, essentially, I would say, I would go as far to say she raised us alongside my mum and my dad because where I had two siblings who were quite poorly, she spent a lot of time in our house doing the kind of day-to-day -day things that most parents would do. Because she didn't just enjoy us or spoil us or just give us, you know, cook us food. She took over the roles that my mum and dad would do, you know, taking us to school, cleaning up around us, feeding us, cooking for us, putting us to bed. You know, grandma, we call her nanny. You know, she would come in and she would take over and even to this day if I go round I mean I remember staying over a couple of weeks ago and I said no Nan I'm gonna she can't get up the stairs so she sleeps downstairs in the living room so I said well Nan there's a couch is perfectly fine I'm just gonna sleep on the couch here with you and we'll chat and we'll sleep and she said no 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 and, and she's really old so she just doesn't sleep at all not very much and I could feel her I'm a light sleeper so I could feel her moving and even 
at her kind of ripe old age of 90 something, she still got up to make sure that my feet were covered and that I was covered. And she would touch my hair and do a little prayer and then go back to bed. And I I kid you not, she did that every hour on the hour. And and, and I'm one of what, oh, 30 grandkids. Even with cataracts and a memory that's failing, she still knows me by face, by name, by sound. And that's wonderful. You know, that is wonderful. And she always says, you're just, you're like my children. Yeah. Oh, she sounds amazing. She is. She sounds like she just emits so much love. Yeah. She doesn't say very much, but when she does, she makes the most sense. As a woman who has lived, like really lived, you know, she doesn't read or write. Um, You know, how she got through, you know, like growing up, losing her husband young, losing four of her children, being an immigrant, you know, she, she's toughed it out. And, you know, she always says, well, you know, I've got nobody else left. Everybody that I used to like is dead. Of course. She, yeah. So she um, she loves us, but she always tells us that she's ready to go. And I'm like, we're not ready to let you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> and not wishing to lose a moment of Nadia's wisdom, her thoughts on fear, anxiety and her husband, Abdul, we decided to continue talking despite the very on-brand domestic sounds of the washing machine accompanying us in the background. Now, after Bake Off, you were famous pretty much straight away. But one thing that's so, so lovable about you on screen and talking to you now is that you just don't seem affected by any of that at all and seem so real. Um, Who's your best friend? Um, So much has changed in terms of friendship, family. So much has changed for me in the last six years. And a lot of it has meant sort of, I've learned a lot about myself, hard things, you know, difficult things. Um, but ultimately, it's the—it's about not losing the essence of who you are. You know, today, between doing podcasts and um, writing, I'm looking after two children who are both vomiting at home. Oh, I'm so sorry. The reality is that, you know, I am a mum and I have a family to look after. I have responsibilities outside of myself. And whilst, you know, I get to do this amazing job and have this wonderful career, walk red carpets, get my makeup done, all of the kind of things that um, just allow me to kind of live outside of myself for a moment, I then have to get my feet straight back on the ground and say, hey, you've got bathrooms to clean and sick to clean up. So <laughs> Yeah, that does keep you pretty grounded, um, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And throughout all of that, you know, I've got to say that, you know, my husband's my best friend and we are so lucky in that we have a wonderful relationship, a very honest relationship. You know, um, we say things to each other that sometimes, you know, like we say things that hurt each other, but they're the things that allow us to grow and change and be better people. And so we're really honest about how we feel and where we see ourselves and through the kind of changes that I've made in my life over the six years, um, he's had to do a lot of changing himself. So, you know, we've grown a lot in the last six years together and he will always forever be my best friend. Oh, that's lovely. So um, I think that Abdal is one of your, obviously your biggest supporters and really pushed you towards entering Bake Off. Yeah, it was him. We'd been married eight or nine years at that point. Um, and then he said, look, there's something about you. You kind of lost your spark. There's just not something quite right. And I feel like you've dedicated almost a decade to looking after us I just feel like you need to do something for you um, and why he thought that I should go on the biggest baking show in in the UK I don't know as somebody who suffers with anxiety but he convinced me and himself that that was the right thing to do and 
it was a lot of kind of pushing and shoving emotionally it was kind of quite hard because I, it was something that I really really didn't want to do to a point where I said to him you got to call them and just tell them I'm dead just tell them I died just tell them I died <laughs> he said I can't do that and if you want to do that you can do it yourself and I said well that doesn't make sense because I can't call from the beyond um, and yeah it's one of the best things I ever did you mentioned your anxiety and of course you've been very open about that as well which I think has been a huge help to discuss mental health openly like that um, and you said that it will never go and it's something that you have kind of learned to live with and when to sort of bush it away and is that the right kind of description that you'd go with now? Yeah um, you know often I meet with people who say it can go away and we can you know there are ways of getting rid of anxiety and I just I suppose I haven't got to that point in my life you know I'll be 37 this year I just kind of live with knowing that I have to manage it my whole life until there is a point where I feel like it will go away or I meet someone who says yes absolutely we can get rid of this and it is in some ways such a big part of me and you know I wonder without it would I be as creative as I am would I articulate myself the way I do mm. like what am I without it because I don't really know who I am without it because it's been a big part of me forever it's been a part of me for as long as I can remember mm. um my inner voice, that kind of inner narrative is always quite negative. It's kind of like, it keeps telling me, you can't do this, or you're not successful, or this is way out of your reach. And and so I have to check in with myself and kind of change the narrative. Actually, hold on a second, you are good at this, and you can do this. And so it's about kind of changing that negative voice and turning it on its head and saying, if that voice exists, it has to be a positive one, which I'm not good at doing, but I, I'm better at doing now. And you say you jump at things that you that could be scary you know sort of yes I'll do that that perhaps once you would have gone there's just no way oh yeah because there's a moment where you're really scared of something and it kind of sits in front of you and you it looks you in the face and you look it in the face and say right I don't want to do this because this is scary but there's a there's a point when when you say yes I'm going to do this thing when you've done that thing that scared you and you walk away there is a moment of liberation and freedom. It's like a breath of fresh air where you feel like where that fear stood in front of your face, it is now behind you. And that, and, and to be able to walk away from that is one of the most like euphoric feelings. Mm. So every time I feel like I can't do something, I'm like, remember that feeling. And it's like, yes, come on, you can do it. So there's nothing nicer than being on the other side of fear. One of the 11 questions I ask all of our guests is, what are you scared of? So I'm not sure how we're going to sort of navigate this next one. Is there still something that you're scared of? Is there something I'm scared of? You know, like, it's really bizarre because I'm not, like, scared of the spiders. I'm the person who saves people from spiders and bugs and things like that. You know what I don't like? I'm really scared of crows. Are you? Okay. I never tell anyone that, but now you know. I really don't like... I really, if I see a crow on my side of the road, I often walk to the other side. There's something about crows that I really, really don't like. Um, and that might be something to do with the fact that when I was, um, I was at school and my brother was off sick, which he often was because he was in and out of hospital quite a lot, he caught a crow at the bottom of the garden. And it was a big one. Crows are really big. <laughs> yeah, they're massive. They're huge, right? And they don't look that big until they're in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, so, yeah, so he caught this crow and he hid it under my bed. Oh, my God. And so as, as soon as I walked into my bedroom, ready to get changed, he lets this crow out of the box. And he's laughing under the bed. 
and this crow is flapping around everywhere, all in my face, and it was oh. so scary, and it wasn't a big room. We were in like a small terraced house in Luton. <laughs> and ever since then, I have been deathly afraid of crows. I do not like crows. I, well, I can understand that. There's a reason for that fear, totally. Someone once threw an eel, a dead eel, into a little boat I was in when I was a kid. That was horrendous, similar... I bet that was, because that's like a snake. Yeah, and I have a huge fear of snakes. Grim, absolutely grim. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a recurring dream, Nadia? Yes, I do. I do. I had, I had the same dream yesterday. All right. Weirdly. I have a dream, like every few nights, I don't know, maybe when, some really, when I'm really stressed, I have a dream that I can feel like I'm cheating on my husband. Right. Yeah, so there's never a person, like I don't see a person, but I do feel like I'm cheating on my husband and it's so weird because I wake up feeling really guilty because it feels <laughs> so real and I feel like I'm hiding something from him and then I wake up and I'm always giving him hugs and I'm kissing him and he's like have you had that dream again where you're cheating on me so I think it kind of works in his favour to be honest. You always get that if um, like I get those dreams sometimes where by the half my husband has annoyed me or done something and I wake up really annoyed with him <laughs> he's done nothing wrong but I'm just like oh Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. I wonder if there's anyone listening like who like, analyzes dreams and says, "Oh, well, this is what this means." I'm dreading that. Like, I'm yeah. not even Goog- <laughs> I'm not even googling it. But- yeah. Don't go there. Yeah. Oh well, thanks for your honesty. I love the fact that you told him as well, and just sort of can laugh about that. That's brilliant. Oh yeah, but I think it works in his favour. He knows, like he knows when I'm like stuck to him in bed, and I'm giving him kisses and hugging him, and saying, "I'm so sorry, I've had another one of those." He's like, "I don't care." Listen, I'm all right. (laughs) I was wondering if we turn our attention to what item of clothing you treasure. Is there one thing that changes the way you feel that you'd never be without? Of course, my kind of wardrobe full of colourful headscarves, Mm. which I, you know, like, they they are the thing that could, for me, when I wear a bright headscarf, it always cheers me up. Mm -hmm. It's like changing your hairstyle every single day. Like, I, I wear a quick black headscarf for convenience and nothing else. But for the most part, when I'm out and about and when I'm, um doing shoots or pictures for the books and things like that it's always about color because color has a way of making us happy you know there's a there's a vibrancy and there's a kind of it it brings joy and you know I I like to think that I can make people I want to make people happy and wearing color makes me happy so all my different colored headscarves I wouldn't be without them I've got into a terrible habit of wearing a lot of black yes and uh, my little girl said to me the other day we were sort of hanging out our washing and all hers is really brilliant yellows and oranges and stuff and I just thought oh we're like the Adams family (laughs) like just her parents both in black so that's a work in progress definitely okay speaking of colour is there a work of art or maybe a piece of music that takes your breath away um if I was going to... Okay, that's good, that's good, because like, I don't know that I follow that much art, particularly. Um, I, although, weirdly, I just... I can't remember, Curtis, who won Portrait Artist of the Year mm. recently, I definitely want to... I, I need some... I want to have something commissioned by him. He's just... Like, his strokes, just pencils. How a person can can create something like that using just pencils is beyond me yeah it ju- I can't because my brothers are amazing 
my younger brother does murals on walls and things like that. So we're quite an artistic family. Um, but I think if I was going to pick a piece of art, it would be a bit of classical music, which always takes me back to my little children being very small. Mm. Um, it's called Pasha Bell uh, Canon D Major. And it is the most beautiful piece of music that honestly, from the first from the very beginning of that kind of first note, I can cry throughout because the only reason why I ever listened to it is it used to be the tune in my children's uh, cot mobile. Oh, lovely. And it just reminds me of when they were small and innocent and not teenagers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And not teenagers. They were little and they would... You know, like, oh, just it just takes me right back to that moment when they were so small and innocent and needed me so much more. <laughs> Johann Pachelbel, Canon in D major, London Symphony Orchestra. Oh, wow. It's, um, it's an incredibly serene piece of music, that, isn't it? There are moments where it's really uplifting and then it just kind of comes down and then it's kind of really restful it's beautiful it's one of my favorite pieces of music oh glorious yeah looking back to uh sort of years gone by what advice would you give your younger self now i would i get asked this question quite a lot um and that changes depending on where i am in my life i kind of the answer changes quite often but i would tell my younger self don't stop asking questions because it's what's going to lead you to where you are now. Um, Because ultimately my curiosity and my need to know um, got me where I am today because, you know, it was that curiosity that constantly kept me learning, kept me on my toes, kept me going. Um, and, And, you know, if I hadn't, if I wasn't curious and I wasn't so desperate to learn all the time, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, you know, I would tell my younger self, even though you think you're being annoying, keep asking those questions. <laughs> um, it will come in handy in a few years. I mean, you say that before uh, Bake Off, you were doing, you were doing sort of courses whilst you had sort of young children at home. You were always sort of trying to learn more, weren't you? Yeah, I just I, I, I suppose for myself as as a as a British Bangladeshi woman growing up in a community where often you know men are always kind of certainly in the community, I can't speak for the entire community, but certainly growing up around the family and the community that I did, it was a very much about kind of men were on these pedestals and, and, and they earned money and they went out and got jobs and they had freedom. Whereas girls, it was very different for, for girls. And often I grew up being told, no, you can't, that's not the done thing, you shouldn't be doing that. And so I was always really curious and I always wanted to learn. And I suppose I've always pushed the boundaries a little bit, you know, like I've always kind of said, Mm. pushed back, even though I've kind of followed the rules, I've always sort of pushed back just a little bit. And I think ultimately that's what kept me going. Um, You know, even as a young mum with, I had two very small children, pregnant with my third, I started an open university degree. um, And then, you know, with a very young child. So had I not done Bake Off, 
you know, I'd like to think that I would have been a social worker today. Um, so, you know, for me, my life was much more than just, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not taken away from mothers, but, you know, I, for me, I, I wanted more. I wanted mm. more than to just be a mum and a wife. I wanted more for myself because I suppose I grew up in a home where uh, my grandma, my aunties, they were mothers and they were wives. And that's kind of what their life amounted to. And I just felt like I had uh, more of myself to give and I and and you know and and over the last six years I've been able to share so much of that and so you know I was right in believing that I had more to give Mm, absolutely what do you think is your worst quality what's my worst quality uh I'm not I say this is a bad quality but it makes my house run like clockwork but I am so I'm all about, I'm, I, I, I need to just chill out. I just, I'm very much about timetable. I like to get things done at a certain time. Um, I have a routine. And when I break away from that routine, I really struggle with my anxiety. Like I really struggle because I have to have everything done exactly as and when. Mm. We have a shared family diary and we kind of, our family chat is so dull. It's about appointments. <laughs> it's so dull. It's about appointments being changed and, and moved. And, and it's dull. The kids probably look at it and think, God, you could say I love you once in a while. <laughs> it's so dull, honestly. Um, but you know what I would love? I think one of my worst qualities is, it's one of my best and worst, I suppose, because although it makes my house run like clockwork, I would love to be a little bit more impulsive. I'd love to be able to just say, do you know what? I'm off out tonight and that's it. Right. I'd love to be able to do that because I just think... Yeah, it'd just be so much more fun just to say, you know what, we're off out, we're going to go and have some fun or, or whatever. Just, I hate that I over plan everything. So I'd love to be able to not plan a little bit. Yeah, I'd like to plan. I need a bit more of what you've got because it's just chaos. Right. Um, and finally, the, the last question of our 11s is, Nadia, is what's your biggest life lesson? Biggest life lesson, which is something that I always tell my kids, is um, it's one thing that we, it's our mantra in our house it's elbows out it's about creating space for you so that you can create space for others so in those moments where you feel scared and you feel like you don't fit in and you don't belong remember that you've got to get your elbows out and create space for yourself so you can create space for other people i love that i'm going to take that one do fast flavors it looks absolutely beautiful i can't wait to cook from it absolutely glorious thank you so much nadia thank you thank you Nadia Hussain is brilliant. It's just so inspiring to me to meet someone like Nadia, who you see on TV, you think, she looks so lovely, I'd love to chat with her. And then you do, and all your senses are correct. That felt like a total privilege. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and rate if you're on Apple as well. All really, really helps. Thank you so much for listening. And join me again for Elevenses with Danielle Perry. Hmm, wondering how truthful to be. <laughs> well, now, do I want to share this with you? Yeah. No, well, yeah, I knew you'd say yes. Next time is a decaf oat milk cappuccino with the fabulous Rob Bryden. <laughs> <laughs>